back guys to episode three i think of double testimony so keen to have such a legend of a guest this time we have my friend nick hey nick hey anna hey everybody how you guys going good how are you yeah not too bad how are you doing today i'm i'm well i uh i've been traveling around a lot today so i'm kind of glad to just be sitting down now <laughs> it's pretty refreshing but it's good i've always been curious like you seem very like out there you feel like I feel like you've got like a really good elevator pitch for yourself. Like if you were to describe yourself and you had like two floors to do it in, what would you do? What would you say? Uh, all right. If I was elevator pitch, describe myself. I mean, obviously I'd try and establish that the person wants a, a university student because otherwise there's not much else I can offer. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a university student. I'm studying secondary education uh, at Sydney Uni. Uh, in my spare time, I like reading and Dungeons and Dragons, but those are kind of niche, so I'd try to really pick on what they're interested in and hope that it's one of those three things. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's me in a nutshell. There's, um, most importantly, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, so I'm, I'm a Christian, which is, you know, good thing to be on this podcast. It helps. It, definitely <laughs> it does, yeah. How yeah. do a Christian testimony without the whole faith in Jesus thing? Um, but yeah, and then I think by that time, I'd probably have run out of flaws. But that's that's our two. Yeah, I'm not sure. Nice, nice. Well, I think that gives a good recap, you know, to our audiences to know who you are. Our special guest today, Nick. Thank you for coming on the podcast for us, um, Anna. And also a fun fact about <laughs> I'm holding this mic so awkwardly. Bear with. Um, one fact about about Nick that is fun is that we met on a mission trip through uni as well, which is the same as our first guest, Caitlin. So it was super cool to have her on, but it's also super cool to have you on because the three of us led our second mission trip together, which was so fun. And now you're the president, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I help in serving out with uh, what power changes on campus. So That's cool. And yeah, officially there. But yeah, it's nice. Wow. Now we've got all three of our some mission leaders on the Planted podcast. Yeah. So I feel like it's been a really, really nice kind of completion. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Full circle. Very keen. Well, let's pray for you and then we can jump in. Lord God, thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your goodness and for your faithfulness in Nick's life. Jesus, thank you for dying for us and just for making a way for us to be a part of your family and to have salvation through your name. We just want to glorify you in this podcast. And as Nick shares his testimony, we ask God that you would get all the glory. Would you give him the wisdom and the words to say in Jesus' precious name? Amen. Amen. So, Mr. President, um... (laughs) When you told me that, all I could think was, the eagle has landed. The eagle has landed. <laughs> no. People say that when you arrive at meetings. Uh, no, but now I want to get that going. <laughs> yeah, so you should get like your little own secret service going. <laughs> of like the new, new, the new, like the freshmen. That's their like, oh, not that there is. I'm, I'm sure there's not a hazing process, but oh gosh, if you were to introduce can. one, the secret service would be the best way there. I yeah. like your thinking. Let's let's workshop this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell people where you got the idea from, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not associated with that idea. Yeah. But. <laughs> totally not recording our idea either. Right yeah. <laughs> um, so Nick, um, let's let's kick off the podcast. We want to hear the, your testimony and how you came to Jesus. We'd love to hear that. Yeah. So yeah, my testimony how I came to Jesus. I, I think we can start when I was a bit younger. I was going to school. I was going to. Uh, at school, I was going to scripture classes and church on Sundays. Uh, so I was going, yeah, in primary school, this was kind of a, a rhythm that I have. I was there learning about, you know, Jesus, Gideon, Abraham, the rest of the biblical gang. Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of what was going on there. 
Um, but then when I started high school, my family, for a variety of reasons, uh, stopped going to church. And believe me, I was fine with this. All of a sudden, God had his own space, but it looked like I had my own. And yeah, and th- for young Nick, this was completely all right. At that time, I was uh, getting really into, into fencing. I was, I was training a lot, working really hard at that. And so all of a sudden, you know, having free time on Sundays when competitions usually were and free times on Friday nights when training usually was, was great news for me. All of a sudden I could, you know, use those times to try and become uh, the world's best sword fighter. Um, as, as, life, as life went on, uh, I eventually, yeah, stopped competing as much with fencing. But all that did was change what I, what I did in my free time. I started focusing on academics later in high school uh, and trying to get, yeah, trying to get good grades uh, and then later still partying and hanging out with friends. So I was in, in charge of my own life. I was doing what I wanted in my own time, uh, especially saliently Sunday mornings and Friday nights. And it should have been great. I was telling myself it should have been great. I was, I was in charge, but it really wasn't. Uh, the training wrecked my body. Uh, my lower back and knees are two parts of my body, which I'm not going to be enjoying in my old age no. uh, as, a, as a result of that. <clears throat> uh, yeah, the economics stressed me out. And it was this kind of, I'm actually, I've actually been rereading Augustine's Confessions lately and he's been talking about uh, how his own study of literature was just vanity um, and soulless. And reading that, I'm like, yeah, actually, that's really what a lot of it was. Uh, and, and the fun of hanging out with friends and parties, it was, it was fun, but there was never this real abiding joy that came with it. It was always incredibly fleeting. Uh, yeah, I was treating my two fantastic parents very poorly and I just felt tired and worn out and just filled with dread all the time. Uh, but despite this, I didn't give God a second thought, you know? I couldn't see him, so he couldn't see me, right? Uh, so that's, yeah, that's how I was, that's how, that's kind of where I was um, near to the end of high school. Uh, but then I started having this, yeah, these real feelings of existential dread. Like, I, I couldn't get out of my mind the thoughts that my life, yeah, it wasn't really going anywhere. It wasn't really for any purpose, Um I'd stopped training and, you know, ended my quest to become the world's best sword fighter. And then all of a sudden I was thinking, all right, what is my life about? What, what do I want to be doing? Okay, where can I excel? And then thinking also about, okay, even if I did excel, what's, what good is that? Like, you know, at the, I'm going to die and occupy, a, I'm going to occupy a coffin just like everyone else. What's the, yeah, what's the point? Um, so I was like, yeah, I've, I've put it in, uh, I've explained it sometimes. It's like I didn't want to live, didn't want to die. Like I was like, you know, I didn't didn't want to die. Um, but also life was meaningless and pointless. And like I get out of bed every day and just feel this dread. I just didn't, you know, why would I wanna uh why would I wanna get up just to face a day that wasn't going to be eternally meaningful. Yeah, or, very indifferent. Or, yeah, oh hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. But the the space where I began to uh, see my life more for what it was and doubt my ability to manage it. Uh, it was actually a place where a lot of young people discovered doubt. That was the, my high school English class. Uh, so <laughs> we've been reading through T.S. Eliot's poetry in our class, which was actually really, really significant. I really love that poetry. Um, but it was raising big questions. Um, T.S. Eliot had, in some ways, kind of a similar view uh, of life to myself. And even where it was dissimilar, he was almost pulling me towards how he, he viewed the world. Meaningless. Um, we've l- lost real connections with each other. We've lost real connections with anything metaphysical. Uh, and it just, yeah, it just felt really empty. So I was, yeah, I was, I'd lay, a bit, I'd lay awake in bed at night thinking, you know, where's my life going? What am I here for? Does it even matter? Why should I get up just to wait through another day? As I was, yeah, saying earlier. 
Uh, so Eliot actually wrote uh, at the end of one of his poems, sleep, prepare for life, the last twist of the knife. And it felt deeply viscerally true, like just going to sleep, just keeping those, getting those rhythms of sleeping, waking, sleeping, waking, living in between. It just, that was the last twist of the knife. That was, it really wasn't anything. Um, so I told myself I was going to get answers to my questions, try and get that existential dread sorted. Uh, if for no other reason than being able to get a full night's sleep, that was, that was the goal. Um, so I thought that maybe I'd check out a church or something at uni. I had a Christian background, so I thought, yeah, I can check that out. Uh, but I was hoping in the back of my mind, you know, if I can check out Christianity and get a final answer that it isn't true, fantastic. I can discard that. Don't need to worry about that. No, no feelings of guilt for anything I've done. Uh, I can just discard that and kind of be done with it. So I, I studied history at uni, so I was, I was keen to investigate Jews historically. I didn't want to believe the Bible because the Bible says so, because why should I trust the Bible? What's, what's so good about that? So I was just keen to see what history had to say about Jesus. Um, so I was linked in with a couple of Christian groups at O-Week, and I'd been doing some of my own research. And I realized that if I was being honest with myself, as a historian, something strange happened on Easter morning. Like, I, I could see that Jesus had died, the certainty about that. And he was alive after he died. There were enough witnesses, enough evidence about that. And there was also, there were also this group of apostles which were willing to die for the belief that they'd seen him. Like, people die for lies, but they don't die for things that they know to be lies. Mm. So I was, I was confronted with this. I couldn't explain what happened, but I knew that something strange had happened. And if I was being completely honest with myself, actually the Bible might be reliable. Jesus may have risen from the dead. What, what does that mean? Mm. I, at this time, I was actually meeting with a guy called Jeff. Anna knows Jeff. Jeff's mm. fantastic. Uh, and I was, I'd bring my question to him and ask, uh, ask my questions. I thought that my questions would be like curveballs that he'd never had before. I thought I'd ask him a few questions. I would, I'd get this foolish Christian to think, wow, I hadn't ever thought of it that way. Nick, you're so right. That's, you know, I, I, I abandoned my faith to your intellect. Um, but strangely, this guy could answer all my questions and could answer them really well. They weren't answers I wanted necessarily. Like a lot of the time I wasn't, uh, I'd get the answers. They wouldn't be what I wanted to hear, but they would, they would make sense. They, they would work. They'd be intellectually satisfying. Um, they, were also, they were also emotionally compelling. They weren't just intellectually satisfying. I was seeing Jeff and this was, a, this was a man's life who was shaped by Jesus. He wasn't just a guy who knew a series of propositions or you know, had a Christian worldview. This is a man who really knew Jesus. He was really passionate about Jesus. And he was telling me about a God whose image I bear and who Paul, as Paul says in Galatians, loved me and gave himself up for me. So this was great and all. It made sense and it had emotional weight. But as we know, that's not it. It required a response. So naturally, just to clarify before I continue, uh, my unbelief wasn't the result of a completely rational intellectual opposition to the Bible. Not at all. As much as I might have liked to dress it up like that, it was, like most unbelief, a fundamentally moral problem. I was, by my very nature, an enemy of God, as Paul writes, a child of wrath. The answers to my questions exposed my opposition for what it really was, a heart issue. My issue wasn't that I was smarter than Christianity. I'm not. God is all-knowing. I'm far from it. But these were moral issues that I would be dressing up as intellectual ones. Because if I could just have an intellectual problem with Christianity, then I was in the clear, right? Then, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I was... I'd seen that my own life, my own space was a, was a mess. And more than just being a mess, it was a profoundly evil mess. It was 
it was a mess with, which was in opposition to God, who is who is holy and who is good. Um, I was also seeing that now is the work of a son who'd run away from his father. Uh, but for this, he actually offered forgiveness and called me to follow his son, Jesus, offering me completely undeserved life in Jesus' name, which was crazy. I'd done, I'd been living a life in active opposition to God. I had, I knew about God from the Bible from when I was younger, and yet I still rebelled against him, convinced myself that the Bible couldn't be true. Um, there was no vision from heaven moment in coming to Jesus. Um, there was no clear moment where I became born again in a really out-of-body kind of experience. But I know I entered one month without faith in Jesus and exited that month knowing knowing my Savior. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. And now I can look to the future without dread, without that, um, that feeling of dread and meaninglessness. Uh, but rather with hope. I know wherever God puts me, I can serve and love him. And that until the new creation, the best is yet to come. I was actually uh, I was actually sharing with a guy a few weeks ago, and he was asking me, um, "Are you a Christian because it feels it feels good or gives you hope and comfort having something unchangeable in the changing world, having hope in a world of dread?" And it was it was a great question, which I I actually I said to him, "No, those are fantastic blessings of being a Christian, but they're meaningless if it's not true." As Jesus says, as Paul says, "If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is futile. We're still in our sins." So what I have is this great abiding hope. I was sure I was looking for that, for that hope, but I wasn't sure I'd find it in, in the truth of Christianity, in the man who actually did die and did rise from the dead, uh, which this podcast happening just after Easter feels very, very topical. <laughs> but yeah, that's what, that, so that's how I came to, to know the Lord Jesus. Yeah. That's so cool. Nick, it's so cool that you were saying how you wanted to be like, the world's best sword fighter. And it just reminds me of Peter in the in the Gospels, how he was like a fisherman. He was great at his job. And Jesus is like, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And meanwhile, you're out there evangelizing to people at uni and training other uni students how to evangelize. And the Bible refers to the word of God as a sword. And so now you're like a sword fighter for the kingdom of God. Like, isn't that crazy? Like... God is just wild. Now you're literally being trained by the best sword fighter in the world to fight with the word of God. Like, that's crazy. That's fantastic. I had never thought of that parallel. (laughs) Here I was thinking, I wish I was a fisherman so I could have that fisherman parallel. But, you know, (laughs) wielding a better sword now. (laughs) That's fantastic. And you literally took that blessing and went, on God. That could have gone without being said. <laughs> no, I, I like it, Andre. I like it. <laughs> oh, it's also so cool, like in that, that you said, and I think it's something that we should talk about more as Christians in general, is the fact that you went from being an enemy of God to a follower of Jesus. And often we look at finding Jesus in, I guess, in terms of, I, like you were saying, that person said of finding hope. And that's where I find my hope. And that is where we find our hope. But the reality of Jesus dying for our sins, because it had to be dealt with. Mm. It's not just now I can go to sleep at night. It's I was once an enemy of God because I was sinful in nature, which no one wants to hear that. The Mm. world doesn't want to hear that. And it's offensive, but it's, it's more offensive to a perfect holy God. And that's why he dealt with our sin. So I love that you both went from, a physical sword fighter to a spiritual sword fighter, but even more importantly, like an enemy to a friend. That's just like 
just the miracle of what Jesus did for us. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so Nick, um, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before. No, no, no judgment if you haven't, but I'm glad that you're here. And as, as the format of this podcast goes is we have your first initial testimony where you get to share your amazing journey and story to Jesus. Um, but we also love to take an emphasis on the second part, um, which is, um, I feel and Anna feels is just as important, um, which is why you choose and how you actively um, choose to stay with Jesus and follow Jesus, um, essentially your second testimony. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, in terms of the second testimony, I'm actually going to give two reasons why I've remained a Christian. Please. I, was, I was trying to get, I was trying to get just one, just one kind of thing, but I don't think one really works without the other. Hopefully, hopefully that's the case. So the first and most significant reason why I've remained a Christian uh, isn't actually because of my hold of Jesus, but because of Jesus' hold of me. Jesus says that this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. If I could fall away from Jesus, knowing how weak I am and knowing the pull of the world and the flesh and the enemy, I would have. By myself, I'm not stronger than any of those things, but Jesus is. So in the simplest way I can put it, I'm a Christian because Jesus doesn't lose anyone who the Father gives him. I, in anything I say from now on, I cannot take any credit for what I've done in following Jesus. All of it is because of him keeping me. So in the simplest sense, that's why, that's why I've remained a Christian. So it's actually really comforting. I've got a savior who will never cast me out, accepts everyone who comes to him. That's remarkable. Like surely he would have, surely he has a right to, to choose who he takes and he doesn't want to accept all sinners. And at that point, why accept any sinners? But what's so radical and what's so amazing that he accepts all sinners who come to him and will never cast them out. And I'm, I'm privileged to be one of them. I'm also covered by the blood of the lamb who paid the debt I owed fully. I can't add any to anything to what I've, to what I've done. I can't add it. Sorry. I can't add anything to what Jesus has done. I I've been saved and there's nothing I can, there's nothing I can do to add to that or to make it better. It is completely paid. It is finished. Jesus is, is my shepherd who gives me eternal life. So he guarantees I'll never perish. Never be snatched out of his hand. I've, that security there. That, that's why I can walk with him as a Christian. And I've recently finished Hebrews and gotten to reappreciate Jesus' role as, as a great high priest. And so I actually, I'm, I'm a Christian because I've got a high priest who's praying for me continually with power. He's not like the, old, he's not like the priest of the Old Testament who some of their prayers are answered with a yes, others not so much. But he, he prays for me with power. He gives me grace to walk with him and mercy as I inevitably fail. There's an old hymn that I really like called He Will Hold Me Fast, which I think explains it beautifully. It says, I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he'll hold me fast. Yeah. I think that just sums it up beautifully. I'm, I'm being held by Jesus. That's the, that's the primary reason why I walk with him. Yeah. And so that's an important part of the story, but not all of it. So I'm not passively tied to Jesus for eternity. I get to actively follow him and get to know him better. And so I do that because I love Jesus, because he is, he's worth loving. Um, so I was, I was saved. I became a Christian just before the COVID pandemic. Uh, the timing was, in some ways, fantastic. Almost, almost like someone planned it. Uh, because, of Sydney's lockdown, because Sydney's lockdowns happened when I was a baby Christian, I had all the time in the world to dive into the Bible, watch sermons, read about Jesus. God opened up a lot of time for me to learn about him. And if, if you're a Christian, you know that the more you learn about God, the more you grow to love him, the more you get to 
you only get you get to know him. The more you drink, the more thirsty you are. It's it's really strange. Um, but yeah, there's there's a reason that Paul prays that the love of the Philippines may grow in love and knowledge. They're they're tied together, knowing more about God and getting to grow in love. Uh, yeah, it's a yeah, really fantastic combination. There's a, a guy at uni named Andy who who Anna knows from her time power to change, who gives a fantastic illustration. Uh, he says that he would be a terrible husband if he loved his wife but didn't take any time to learn about her. And I think the reverse is also true. Mere knowledge without any love would similarly destroy that relationship. Both are needed and both spur the other one to grow more and more. So as I, as I grew to know Jesus more and more, I began to see not only the truth of the Bible, but the beauty of the Savior at the center of it all. Not just seeing that these, you know, what the Bible said was true and how it all fits together, but seeing how beautiful a story it is, how, how Jesus is so beautiful and so lovely and so worth knowing. So, yeah, reading my Bible isn't mere learning but getting to know god better i get to see more and more of just how glorious he is and as he teaches me i get to see his goodness in all that he does so john piper has actually described god's joy as a mountain stream always replenishing and ever overflowing as i've followed jesus and as i've remained in him i found that the more i drink from this mountain stream this living water the more thirsty i get the more i eat of the living bread the more the more i hunger so jesus is completely satisfying and I want to, as Paul, count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm a Christian because I get to cling to and worship such a glorious, good, loving, holy God. And only because he loves me. Because he loves me, I get that privilege. Yeah. So none of this is to say I'm an especially virtuous Christian or know God because I sought him out myself. Um, no, I, I don't walk with him the, with the diligence and love with which I should, quite simply. Like, me remaining in Jesus is not the story of Nick doing well. Mm. It's the story of God having grace. Um, yeah, because of Jesus, I'm a saint. But on this side of heaven, I'm still sick with sin. So, uh, yeah, I never, not one day have I walked with Jesus as I should. So now it might make a little more sense why I started with the first reason above. All of this is totally dependent on God's grace to do that. To do that. And if I'm left to my own devices... Unlike the disciples who fall asleep in Gethsemane, with willing spirits but weak flesh, even one hour of true discipleship is more than what they or I can do. But actually, please God to save me and let let me get to know Him more and more. So I'm, I'm a Christian because it pleased God to bring me out of the world for Himself. I follow Jesus because He's more beautiful and precious than I could imagine. I'm a Christian because Jesus holds on to me. I can take no credit for either my conversion or my discipleship. But I get lavished, lavished with blessing through both. Uh, and all of this shows how just how glorious and good my God is. So, yeah, the reason I'm with Jesus is because God loves me, wanted to save me. And because in him saving me, he shows just how good he is, just how good Jesus is. Um, yeah, so that's, that's why I've remained with Jesus. That's why I've walked with him. I might actually, there's another verse of a hymn which I actually just got down the bottom of my notes, which I thought might be, might be good to add. Love a hymn. Uh, <laughs> Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So yeah, Jesus, that's a passing worth. More valuable than anything that, yeah, the world can offer. That is just beautiful. That's like the epitome of just an awesome testimony when it's just about God and it's not about what we can do. And oh, so good just to have that reminder of it's what Jesus has done. And even I was reading 1 John recently and it talks about how, you know, if you follow God, you obey his commands, like the one who loves God obeys him and how in, in God there is no darkness at all. So we should walk in the light as well. 
But if we do sin, like you said, we inevitably do on this side of heaven. I love how you put it that way, that Jesus is our advocate and that we have, that's the whole purpose of him dying for us. If we didn't need him, I'm sure he wouldn't have put himself through that. So thank mm. you for that reminder. That was awesome. Yeah. And in, in 1 John, like we have that fantastic, which you're alluding to that fantastic mm. promise that God is just and faithful and will forgive mm. us. Like he's not only faithful to forgive us, but he's just. It would be unjust of God not to forgive those who has have Jesus representing them. God's accounting that to Jesus. God already wow. has. And so seeing that how God's not only his mercy, but his justice is expressed in him saving and loving us. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. It's like here I was, you know, maybe earlier in my discipleship thinking, oh, you know, God's mercy was like more stronger than his justice. No, both were, both were fully reconciled in the cross. It's amazing. That's so cool. And I think that just strips away any boast we have in ourselves too, especially for me personally, I grew up knowing about God from like church, my parents and things. And I went to a Christian school too, um, till like almost the end of high school. And just that desire to want to do the right thing, which is awesome, which I'm thankful I was raised in that environment. But at the same time, it's, it's something I've had to learn since then. And since my faith has become real, that it's all Jesus. Like there's nothing there's nothing I could do, like you said. It would be pointless to try and add anything to what Jesus has done. So thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. And I'm so excited for people to hear that. Yeah. Um, no, it's been really good to hear you sort of articulate and like really synthesize that this continuous part of your testimony that you've had um, and how graceful God has been and um, how the Spirit has been there for you to be faithful and to lean on them. It's been really great. Um, I also want to like, would really love to hear um, like now, like in present day, a day to day, more, more microscopic than how we've been with the testimonies of this is um, how, how has Jesus impacted your life now? Like in the day to day? Yeah. So Jesus, uh, yeah. In terms of who he is, he, uh, I want to try and do all things to his glory, like First uh, Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether you eat or drink or in everything you do, do it all to the glory of God. So with that, if though I do it imperfectly, like, I'm trying to have Jesus as as the center of what I'm doing. Why am I studying? Why should I study hard? It's actually to give a good account of myself as a disciple of Jesus to point to who He is. Um, in terms of my schedule, it looks different. I am now involved in church and serving in different ministries. Because all of a sudden I've realized that my free time is, it's good to have rest and it's good to have free time. But I should, I can use some of that for, and God can work through some of that to grow his kingdom. So it means that making those kind of like day-to-day scheduling choices. It's like, what is this week going to look like? What am I going to do there? But then also thinking about careers in the future. What, how can I serve God best in my life? Where would I be most useful for the kingdom? So with that, I, I'm near the end of uni. The, the career think. The career thinking is, you know, 24-7. But with that, trying to think about, okay, not what's going to be the most comfortable career or what's even going to be the career I enjoy most, but where can I have the greatest impact for the kingdom? Where can, um, and what does that look like? Does that look like giving up comfort? Does that look like moving city or country? Um, So with that, it's, uh, I'm I'm somebody who thinks a lot lot to themselves. So with that, all of a sudden having a completely different, kind of ethic to how I'm thinking, you know, 
What does it look like to seek first the kingdom? Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is, these aren't things you're doing for optics, obviously. These are desires that the God has that God has placed on you, and you've been able to discern that sort of will of God because you've been, like you said, drinking 100%. and the thirst and that constant cycle that's been there for you. And, and, I think, and yeah. to say all this, like that, that's that's the goal, but I fall short of it constantly, like sure. n- yeah. relentlessly. Well, yeah. Like when I'm when I'm thinking about where can I best serve the kingdom, the flesh is crying out, "What's going to be most comfortable? Like, what what do you yeah. want to do?" Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So with that, the, the desire is to have Jesus at the center of it all, but any goodness from there is God's grace, yeah. and any failure in that is totally on me. Yeah. That's like all the badness in there is because of me. <laughs> <laughs> all the goodness in that isn't. Absolutely. So with with that, that's not. This isn't me saying, "Wow, I'm this fantastic Christian who's you know follows Jesus as oh, as a perfect disciple." No, yeah. no, by no means. Yeah. That's the goal. I want to strive towards that. But I'm being made aware of how poorly I do that and how much I need God, God's grace to even even begin on that journey, yeah. even begin yeah. to think about things rightly. Um, and yeah, and with that, it's nothing like thinking about the future to convince, to help you see just how foolish you really are, <laughs> just how little wisdom you have, just how much you need it to be provided. Yeah, um, but yeah so that's kind of what that's no, like. Because I, I do feel like a lot of um, you know new Christians or young Christians can feel like it's all based in works or it's mm. I've got to look like I'm in the motions of being mm. a Christian, mm. but it is really leaning into God and l- leaning into Jesus and supp- drinking from that sort of uh, you know wisdom and God's word to then recycle that thirst and just keep going and it like you've mentioned it's all the good is god and Mm. all the bad is the flesh Mm. so yeah no thank you for you know reaffirming that because i think that gets really misunderstood a lot of the time that of the optic of the optics of it it's Mm. not about that at all it's yeah it's about that continuous faith and faith and that continuous sort of um seeking of the yeah. Lord. And Jesus says, he who loves me will obey my commands. Like obedience is really important, but like what's the order? We love Jesus and because of that, because of that we obey him, we wanna wanna make our whole lives for him. Not the other way around. Yeah. So like oh I'm a better Christian than you. I just <laughs> just tick this bunch of things off my checklist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so true. And even if you think about it in Revelation, um it, the letters to the seven churches, one of them, um, John is saying well, Jesus is saying through John's writing that you are known for being alive, but you're actually dead. And just that, the reality of, like you were saying, Adwait, if we're Christians just for the optics, we may as well just stop because it's a waste of free time, like you were mm. saying, or waste of pleasure. Like if we're just going to be half-heartedly living for God, in adverted commas, for the sake of other people, that's not even Christianity. Like we've missed it. We've missed we've missed repentance, we've missed receiving grace, and we've missed salvation, if that's the point of it for us. Just a weird little metaphor for that. It's like <laughs> saying like God's word is this nourishment, it's this food for our spiritual bodies. And optics is like taking that broccoli and deep frying it. It, it just takes away mm. all the nutrition, it, it yeah. obscures it, mm. its purpose, and it's just not what it's meant for. Yeah, and mm. it's, it's even impact, impacting what you are doing. If you're, ta- if you're prioritizing what the second command, what you're doing for others, but the first, you've just taken away its power. Like, well, yeah. That's so true. Yeah, Jesus links them, links them together. If you're taking out the source, what are you going to do with the root? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's just going to dry up. There's a, one thing I've found useful is like a heart diagnosis thing is, what does what does my personal devotion look like? If I'm um, like very rarely, will you find somebody 
who's doing religion just for the optics, as you were saying, or, or like pretending to follow Jesus just for the benefits, who will spend extended time in their room reading the, reading the word or spend extended time in prayer. It's like, actually, I think that's a really good kind of diagnosis of the heart. Like, where, mm. where am I at with my relationship with Jesus? How's that manifesting itself in my life? Yeah, and I think that inward self-reflection is really important to acknowledge that because, yeah, it's not to say like if you're in that, if you've just realized, oh my goodness, maybe I am doing this for the optics. It's not to be like, well, you really should get that fit. It's like really a, um, a really a moment to have a moment with yourself and with God to think about that and exactly look at your self-devotion. Uh, I think that's a really good um, point there, Nick. Yeah, so good. And Nick, um, with the time we have left, we are so keen. If you would be willing to share with us some of your passion about apologetics and evangelism, and I know this about you because of being on mission with you and getting to evangelize with you has been just such a blessing. Um, I don't know if you remember, but on our first mission trip, um, I just wanted to go home. I was so scared and I remember seeing you and it was your first mission trip too. And I was like, oh, why is he so good at it? And it's cool because you had literally, you just come to Christ that year, hadn't you? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was, oh, maybe technically the year, year before, before but it would have been sure. under a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's crazy because you, you had that genuine like passion of, I need to share what I have found. And I think I had the desire to, but I didn't know how. And um, you're very passionate about showing people how to link the two, the desire and the ability to to share. But also, um, I've seen you share with people before, if you don't have the desire to share, that's an issue and we should talk about that. So in whatever way you want to, would you mind sharing with us a bit about what apologetics is, why it matters, why you care about it, and yeah, any advice you have? Yeah. Well, thanks for the encouragement, first of all. Really appreciate of that. you're welcome. Um, yeah, so... It, Apologetics simply is giving a, a reasoned defense or a kind of intellectual defense of Christianity. To do it, you don't need to be an intellectual. That's not what it's saying, but it's defending the truth and goodness of the claims that the gospel makes. So I'm not like a ridiculously talented apologist. I'm not coming here as somebody who's studied it for many moons and has, you know, is coming here to impart wisdom. No, not at all. Um, just coming here as somebody who's, uh, who's seen its benefit, seen what the Bible says about it. It wants to encourage, if you're listening, you, but also encourage myself through this to keep going with it. Uh, so yeah, apologetics. There are a few passages in, especially the New Testament, that speak about uh, the importance of apologetics or the kind of the blessing that it that it gives. So I'll, I'll just quickly highlight those because it's no use if I'm just saying apologetics is great. That's just an opinion. <laughs> so the, the classic apologetics verse uh, is 1 Peter 3.15. Well, I'll just read out that verse and the next one, and we'll just go through it a little bit of what it is and then what that can look like in our lives. Um, so Peter writes, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ might be put to shame. So apologetics, as we're saying, is is about what you know. Uh, Peter's saying, uh, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason that for the reason for the hope that is in you. So the hope that's in you, that's what you know. That's that's knowing Jesus is your Savior and Lord, knowing that he, he died on the cross, rose again. But he also says why you know it. He says, give a reason for the hope that is in you. So why do you believe it? Why do you know that the Bible is true? What 
what has brought you to that conclusion. And that can be really, Peter is telling every Christian to have that ready. He's not saying to every Christian that they need to get like three degrees in apologetics and like read up on it every night in their free time. But he's saying that every Christian should have a reason for why they believe what they believe. Imagine, imagine why churches would be like if everybody did have a reason and if everybody could answer their friends and say, actually, I believe the Bible is true because of A, B, and C. Imagine how many more conversations would be going. Imagine how many more people would see come to Christ or, or at least investigate. But he also says, do it winsomely. Peter says, do it with gentleness and respect. So apologetics isn't arguing for the sake of arguing. If you want to do that, go do your own thing. But apologetics is doing this with gentleness and respect. It's loving, it's loving those people who you're having these conversations with. As you defend the faith, um, it's being gentle and patient with them. So there's a, I'm going to paraphrase a quote from Paul Washer that I really like. He said, it doesn't matter what your, how good your theology is if you don't outlove your opponent. Mm. And I think, yeah, that's... Oh. <laughs> I'm snapping my fingers. Oof. <laughs> it's, good. Yeah, but that's, that's... We want to be winsome with it. There's a reason Peter puts that in. Just, he doesn't say, to the, doesn't say to the people he's writing to, the believers he's writing to, go out and win arguments. He's like, no, do it with gentleness and respect. And being loving and above reproach, having a good conscience as well. But then the reason he gives is actually really interesting. Um, he, he says, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ might be put to shame. So this is actually, our behavior in apologetics is for, among other reasons, for, and I'll say it and I'll explain it after, for the public shame of the enemies of Christianity. Mm. It's so that, this isn't saying we're going around trying to shame people, but this is so that people will see the gospel as at least plausible and they won't see it as foolish as they might have before it's um, similar reasons to why paul uh, invoked his roman citizenship to clear his name when uh, i forget i think he might have been in philippi um, to clear his name he wasn't interested in his own rights but he didn't want the gospel to be seen as something criminal so there he's we're, we're doing apologetics for a similar reason we want people who are reviling christians and arguing against them to see the gentleness and reasonableness of christians so that Christianity is seen in a better light. The reputation of the gospel really matters to God. That's, that's really important. That's a part of why apologetics is so great. We can defend God's, God's honor. We can show its glory, his glory and the goodness of, of the message of the gospel um, by defending it yeah. and by doing it with love and respect. So that's, that's not something which I think many people have thought about when it comes to apologetics, and myself included, only until quite recently, but thinking about what it looks like to actually be defending Christianity in the public square? What does it look like for, um, yeah, what does it look like to be engaging in these conversations so people can see that Christianity, it's plausible. It, it could be true. It's, and wow, these Christians are really nice. These aren't, these aren't a group I should be reviling. And if I have, that's not saying I should keep doing. Mm. We also have um, a, a maybe lesser known book, Jude. Like in, in, in Jude's letter, he says, a beloved, although as eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you to appeal uh, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He's saying, although I wanted to write about the salvation that we share, you know, Jesus and it's and the glory of him dying on the cross and resurrecting, although I wanted to write to you about that and how to live in light of that, I'm going to write to you about how to contend for the faith. Clearly, apologetics isn't unimportant. It's not like this like minor, minor thing. Jude is saying, actually, it's really important that you guys are defended from false teaching. It's really important that you know you guys know what you believe, why you believe it. You guys can respond well to outsiders. So it's it's apologetics is really important to Jude, uh, and he also says to contend. I've I've been told by people who read Greek. I don't personally, 
that the that the word contend is uh, we get the English word agonize for it. This real this real struggle, this real battle. Apologetics isn't like a put your feet up and have a have a really easy conversation with people. It can be really hard, like researching it and having these conversations with people. It can be hard to def- defend the faith, but we're told to agonize for the faith. Mm. But apologetics can also be a great blessing. I know about you guys, but I've seen great evangelists and people who are really good at defending the faith. I've just watched them defend the faith and been really encouraged by it. I've been like, wow, you know, that's really encouraged me and shown me, show me how, how to answer this question. Or you, that's that's convinced me in moments of doubt that Christianity is true and it is and it is real and it is good. In uh, we might remember Apollos from the from the Book of Acts. In there's this really uh, here's a kind of famous passage where it's corrected by Priscilla and Aquila, but there's this little part that comes after which I think is really significant. Uh, it says, "And when Apollos wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed." For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So here, apologetics is actually a real blessing to our brothers and sisters. If we're able to, if we're able to share our faith and, and defend its truth and goodness to our, friend, uh, to our friends, uh, or in the presence of our Christian brothers and sisters, that can be a great encouragement. That's great. I've watched a bunch of William Lane Craig in the past and seen how he does it. and thought, wow, that's, that's really amazing. And I'm glad that I have this guy in the public square kind of batting for us, so to speak. So I think, yeah, apologetics can be a real blessing to, to the Christian community. And just imagine what the church would be like if everybody, if everybody had, the, had some of those answers to con questions and really wanted to engage their friends. Mm. How do you think Christianity would be viewed in Sydney? How do you think it would be viewed in the world? So I think apologetics is really important. It's a place of great opportunity. Uh, and it's actually, yeah, it's a real encouraging and blessing to believers. Mm. So all that to say, apologetics is important and it's very good. But that doesn't really answer any questions about like how to start, how to get involved in it, anything like that. Um, I think one important thing to note is that most of us are not going to be incredibly talented apologists, myself included. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't engage with it. When Peter is writing for everybody, for the believers to have a defense ready for their for the reason that for the hope that they have, he's saying that he's writing that to all believers. He's writing that to everybody that's hearing the letter. So that includes us. So that it's, we should be thinking about what do we know and why do we know it? What, what hope do we have? Why do we have that hope? Just having that answer ready. You're, you're obeying Peter's command. You're glorifying God through that. I think I'd encourage you to, if you're listening to this, I encourage you to be active in witnessing to your friends. Get around some Christian brothers and sisters who are also keen to do the same and, and then figure out how to encourage and pray for each other through that. Uh, if we're talking about apologetics specifically, I think the most useful apologetic answer I've found is I don't know. That's the most useful thing I've ever been able to answer. If somebody asks a question and you don't know the answer, there's nothing better than saying, I don't know, but it's showing that you're, you're humble enough to acknowledge what you don't know. But then it's also really nice because you get to go home. You get to research it. Look at, look at what the Bible says. Listen to some other great Christian thinkers. And then you get to come back the next week and say, hey man, I've been listening. I've been look, thinking about your question and I'd love to chat about it with you. Not only can you have a more fruitful conversation then, but... I've had many, I've had many friends who are like, who are really touched by somebody taking the week, researching it, and then remembering and coming back, rather than just, oh, I don't know. Good luck with that. Hope you find the answer. <laughs> Let me know if you do. Or even like putting together like a half-baked answer of what they know, and then the, like this whole time you probably had a great sort of you know talk about 
the Bible and whatever questions they have had. And then you get to one where you don't know. And then you're like, uh, and then you just say something. And then it just sort of doesn't help that mm. conversation or whatever that you're you're sort of discussing between them. I can, I can imagine. 100%, 100%. And I've, I've fallen prey to that. The, the pride of wanting to have all the answers. And I ask a question and I'm like, well, I've never heard this question and I don't know where to start, but I'm going to start anyway. And it just doesn't end well. Like it's, it's not good for them. It's not good for you. It doesn't glorify God to have somebody claiming to know things that they don't. But there's also no expectation for you to know everything. Like you don't need to know everything under the sun at this present moment to go and witness to your friends. Mm. You, have, you have a Bible. You have everything you'll need. You have, we believe that the Bible is sufficient for all life and godliness. Which means that you can go to your Bible. You can go to pastors and friends. There are millions of resources online. It's crazy just how much access we have. And you go research that and learn more. I've actually found something which has been helpful for my faith is running Christianity Explained courses. I, I ran it with this guy called John um, a while ago who's now a Christian, praise God. Oh. Uh, and he had these gnarly questions. Like these were questions I had not only never encountered, but I didn't know that they could be asked. Like I was like, <laughs> these are so... But it meant that every week I would have to go and think about how to answer these questions and help me understand more of the Bible, help me understand more of who God is and how his word makes sense and how it all fits together. It was a real blessing to me. By the time he was getting his questions answered, I'd have, a, I'd have three answered. Like It was three for every one of his. It was fantastic. Um, so yeah, it, apologetics and engaging with that kind of thing is a, can be a real blessing to yourself. God really works through that. For your, you know, God blesses with you through obedience. Like If you do that, he will, it will be fruitful. Um, yeah, in terms of practical stuff, uh, I've gotten to apologetics originally off YouTube. I just found some like videos in my recommended things, started watching them, realized this is some good stuff. Let's, <laughs> let's go down this YouTube rabbit hole. Uh, but they're also very useful books. So I think some, uh, if you're interested in getting into it, uh, three books, like very uh, good entry level kind of stuff, uh, more than a carpenter, a really good, um, sh- really good, really short, uh, look at the historicity of Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, the Reason for God by Tim Keller is really good at engaging with a lot of questions asked in the present kind of cultural moment, a lot of what's on people's minds. Uh, and Tactics by, I think it's uh, Greg Kukul, if I could be wrong. Just really good tips on how to how to evangelize to your friends. Just some, some good tips to have, and it saves you a lot of hours of trial and error. Uh, and then as, if you're also a YouTube fiend like me, uh, Cross Examined is a YouTube channel that's really good at engaging with questions, especially asked by university students. Uh, testify if you're big into history testify is an incredible channel the guy that runs it is like mind-bogglingly good at what he does so that's a really great channel and there's also a guy called mike winger who does um every week he'll like answer 20 questions that people have about christianity Uh, and he also has a bunch of videos on apologetics kind of topics so he's fantastic as well those are all three really accessible approachable kind of um, ways that you can get into it in in your free time. Like <laughs> if you're on YouTube tonight, hey, give give that a go. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, and I'm sure they're gonna be. Uh, I'll put money on that. <laughs> yeah, you can actually like put those um, that list you mentioned on our um, Instagram page too, so people can find it. Quality. That's that's great. That's, hopefully, that'll be a, a blessing to them. That's so cool, Nick. And one thing that I thought is just really awesome about what you've said well one of the many things is awesome about what you said is that it's like suddenly accessible just knowing you know for example that you can say i don't know or that Mm. you can look into things you don't have to be like you said a super apologist to to know 
um, all the answers to everything, but you have to know Jesus. You mm. can't just go out there saying stuff that you know of without truly knowing God. And I guess on top of that, it's pointless if the Holy Spirit is not moving and you can, um, you can be praying over the person you're talking to. You don't have to expect to just have this miraculous moment where someone's convinced in a second, but you can just be um, agonizing over them too, like praying and wrestling um, in prayer for that person. It's not it, like we're not expected to just know what to say all the time, but to know the one who we're talking about. And it just gives Christians so much freedom, especially young Christians who we're still learning and growing Um we don't get to just pick and choose. Like you said earlier, what am I going to do that's most comfortable to serve God? It's I want to serve God and what he calls me to do. So if God tells you to go and talk to someone about your faith, knowing that you are equipped and God has given you everything that you need to be able to do what he's calling you to do. Mm. Yeah, excellent point. And I really loved your emphasis on prayer there. Like, like Paul asked the churches to pray that a door may be opened for him. He asked mm. that to the church in Colossae and Laodicea. Um, yeah, that's really important. Like we ought to be praying for the people that we're speaking with. Give them their answer and then pray that, you know, the God who's provided you that answer is going to work that in their heart. Because apologetics has never saved like a single person. Not one Christian has ever been saved by apologetics. They've been saved by questions being answered and the Holy Spirit working in their heart, Amen. them being regenerated. So yeah. if, you're not, if you're giving answers, but you're not praying for them, you're missing the most important work. It's better to say, I don't know, and then never provide any answers, but be diligently praying for that person than to have all the answers in the world, but just kind of coldly shrugging it off. <laughs> that is so true. You know, that reminds me, it's just a very brief story. Every time at work, I'm a nurse and obviously we can't just, we're not permitted to go around sharing our faith, but it comes up all the time. God just opens doors multiple times. And there was this man who was just so closed against God, but so intrigued about how passionate I was about God. And um, I ended up telling him that I, I was praying for him and over his health, and over his understanding of God. And he was so appreciative and so thankful. And he wanted to chat, but he was so closed to actually taking hold of what I was saying. And it became really discouraging for me because I I just felt like there's nothing I'm doing right. Like it's it's I need to have the perfect words and I need I need the Holy Spirit to just take over my words and you know and that's awesome to hope that. But at the same time, this man was not in a place to receive what what I was saying. And he even said to me, like, you don't want to talk to me for too long because I'm so cynical, you'll lose the hope you have. And I I don't know, maybe this was the Holy Spirit giving me the boldness to say this, but I just said, I'm sorry, but you don't have that power. Um, my hope's not in you. It's actually in God, so I can't lose it by what you say. And I think that was the only thing I could give him because I was like, bro, you're not receiving what I'm saying. And obviously I didn't say that to him, but I can't, I can't do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And I don't know where he is in his life. The fact that he told me so many Christians are praying for him, that's incredible. Clearly God's after him, but it's God that's chasing his heart. It's God that leaves the 99 to go after the one. I'm just the hands and feet. But if I'm not being the hands and feet, he wouldn't have Christians praying for him. He wouldn't have people talking to him when he, he's in a hospital bed. So it's just being, I guess God just taught me in that moment, being available to do whatever God is wanting me to do in that moment and then just leaving the rest up to what God knows um, is only in his control to do. Yeah, 100%. And it's, yeah, it's about being faithful with what you have. It's not you who bears the fruit, mm. but being faithful with what's given, you, given to you, being faithful with the positions God, God puts you in, and then letting God bear the fruit, trusting mm. you know, he is working everything so that he gets the maximum glory from it. 
all things are working together for our good and his glory. But that sounds like a really good exa- that sounds like a really great illustration. Yeah, it's actually not up to you to save this guy. You can't. No, no matter how you tried, but if you're acting faithfully and witnessing to him like you did mm. and letting him know, actually, my, my host's not in you, you know, yeah. you're, a, you're a man, a hospital, you're not going to be able to take my faith from me because that's not where it is. That's not yeah. what it's based on. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm. That's a great story. Oh, I mean, I think God used that moment to teach me more than he taught that man. I don't know. I guess it's just something to be praying about. But yeah, it was just a really awesome experience for me in that moment with what God taught me. Wow. That, I think this has been a really fun podcast. Thank you so much, Nick, for coming on and sharing um, all the wisdom that God has imparted on you and speaking. Um, he is definitely alive um, here and now, and um, we praise that. Uh, thank you so much. Um, Anna, do you want to plug anything? Oh, actually, psych, before you plug anything. <laughs> Nick, do you have anything you want to plug? This is your time. Uh, if you're on campus, if you're at uni or about to be on uni uh, at either Notre Dame or Sydney Uni, I'm a part of a Christian group called Power to Change. We are really passionate about evangelism, about the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. Um, so if you're around those campuses, get involved. It's, it's a great way to grow in your faith and to serve God while you're at uni to see him use your uni degree for eternal good. So if you're around one of those unis, do that. Otherwise, there are a million fantastic christian groups or a million great unis so join a christian group if you're a uni (laughs) thank you mr president Uh, (laughs) um anna um yeah and of course you can find us on planted.ministries on instagram oh sorry that's at planted.ministries or you can just check out our website which i think is actually just planted.com if you search us up but we'll be releasing podcasts every two weeks so we're very keen for the, the guests sign up this, this season. I mean, oh, every it's, season it's has crisp. been a blessing, but it's just really fun. We're just really keen for all the testimonies being shared this season. So get keen. And we're keen for you to hear it. So make sure you're following the podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts um, so you can be up to date on that. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. See you soon.